Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Many people are feeling a financial squeeze due to the coronavirus pandemic. And for people out of work, bills are piling up. And that includes rent. Florida has had a moratorium on evictions since the start of the pandemic, thanks to an executive order issued by Governor Ron DeSantis. It's been extended several times, but the governor always waits until the end of the month to sign that extension. That creates stress and anxiety, both for renters and property owners. Last night around 8.45, DeSantis extended the moratorium until 12.01 a.m. on October 1st. The new order does not introduce any new policy changes, but it stretches the language introduced for the August extension. I discussed that language with one of our guests. So what's ahead for landlords and tenants as the pandemic drags on? Here with me via Zoom are William Pena Wells, an attorney with Gulf Coast Legal Services, which helps people facing eviction. Also joining us is Stephanie Stokes. She's a reporter at public radio station WABE in Atlanta. She covers housing issues, including evictions that are taking place during the pandemic. Stephanie, William, thanks to both of you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. William, I'll start with you. Just give me an overview of what rights do tenants have in Florida and how do those rights uh, stack up right now during the uh, pandemic? Well, the simple answer is right now, if your uh, landlord is filing an eviction against you for failure to pay rent and you're uh, affected by COVID with a loss of income, uh, you're covered under the most recent Florida governor's uh, amendment of the executive order. And uh, the case, unfortunately, now can proceed up to final judgment, uh, which is the very, almost the very last judicial act that has to get done. If your landlord is going to evict you because you're a holdover tenant and your lease is expired, or if there's a, a, an unlawful detainer against you, unfortunately, the uh, executive orders don't uh, uh, protect you at all, and your case will proceed right to uh, final judgment and rid of possession, and you will be uh, evicted. So in addition to the state moratorium here in Florida, uh, Stephanie, there, there were some eviction protections in the Federal CARES Act, which just expired. Can, can you uh, talk about those? Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's interesting because Georgia actually is one of only a few states that never had a statewide moratorium here. So the only thing that's really applied uh, to eviction filings was this, uh, this part of the CARES Act that Congress passed back in March. Um, basically, it prevented landlords who have loans from government entities from even filing evictions at all. So that means starting the process with the court. And it's estimated by groups like the Urban Institute that that affected about a third of properties nationwide. And it actually lasted five months, the, the protections uh, preventing landlords from filing. And it just expired last week. So we are seeing a change here in the Atlanta area from that. 
William, are you seeing uh, changes from uh, some of the people that, uh, that you help? Yes, everyone is concerned because the uh, prior uh, executive order in Florida was much broader. Uh, it is uh, now narrowed down. So a lot of people who thought they were covered are not covered. And it creates a lot of confusion and ambiguity. In fact, not only uh, in our area, but all throughout Florida, because the uh, executive orders are so broad that they're interpreted so many different ways. There are uh, 67 counties, and each of the counties has their own way of viewing the executive orders. And even each individual judge has uh, their uh, own way of trying to find out what the uh, executive orders cover. So it's very confusing, and it all depends on where you live. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the, the governor has extended this executive order several times, but he always seems to wait until the very end of the month to do that. And I imagine for, uh, for people who have rent due and also for, uh, for, for property managers or property owners, that just creates a lot of, of uncertainty and a lot of anxiety. That's correct. There are no winners in that situation. The, uh, the landlords can't make uh, judgments and assessments on what's going to happen. The tenants uh, don't know if they're going to be uh, facing uh, an immediate eviction in the next few days. So it's unfortunate that each of the executive orders hasn't come out until literally the uh, day before. Stephanie, you mentioned that, that Georgia hasn't had a statewide moratorium on evictions. How have evictions been playing out in, in Georgia and in, in Metro Atlanta uh, during the pandemic? Yeah, so I should, I should clarify that there was no statewide moratorium on evictions, but what we, what we did have was the state court system here issued a judicial emergency. It was not aimed at evictions. It was aimed at protecting the staff of courthouses at every level across the state. And those courthouses decided to not hear cases that weren't essential, and they decided evictions were not essential during the pandemic. And that, that judicial emergency is still in place, but um, it provides a lot of flexibility to local courthouses. So similar to what you were discussing about in Florida, how there are so many counties, uh, Georgia also has a lot of counties and it's playing out differently in every single one, um, just depending on what the courthouse feels is possible given the pandemic. In the Atlanta area, we're just now starting to see courts here cases, um, they're mostly cases that were started before the pandemic. So we're talking about landlords who were trying to evict their tenants back in February even. Those cases were, were on hold simply because the courts wouldn't hear them. It wasn't out of any sort of desire to protect tenants in uh, difficult financial situations. And, and talking about those financial situations, I mean, we're, Stephanie, there are uh, tenants that potentially, I imagine, owe several thousand dollars in rent at this point if, if they're, they've been un unable to make rent. What are some of the ways that these tenants are, are trying to either find that money or, or try to get some relief from that when uh, evictions start moving again? I think it's a really terrifying situation for these tenants. The people I have spoken to are are behind on rent by four thousand, five thousand dollars, and 
you know, an issue that I hear a lot is not only that they've lost their job because of COVID-19, but also they don't have childcare um, because schools are virtual or their daycare is not operating, or maybe their transit is not available um, in our in the Atlanta area, some bus lines stopped with the uh, with the start of the pandemic. So they don't even have the option of getting to a job, even if there was one that they could, um, you know, apply for. There is some rental assistance from private groups here. Um, but, you know, when you're behind thousands of dollars, it becomes really difficult. Um, in my experience, when I do a story about someone, money magically appears from somewhere, but you have to think about that's just one tenant out of, you know, almost, yeah, about 3,000 cases pending in Fulton County alone. And that's the county that covers much of the city of Atlanta. William, what kind of assistance is available for, for tenants in Florida who are facing this issue of thousands of dollars in back rent? The CARES Act does provide for uh, a back rent to be paid to landlords if people can apply. Unfortunately, the uh, until recently, the backlog of applications made it a difficult and frustrating process. But that's where uh, organizations like Gulf Coast Legal Services that step in and try to negotiate with landlords, uh, because uh, since this pandemic has stretched on for many months, the amount of money that people owe is in the, is in the thousands, and the uh, CARES Act uh, reimbursements are limited. So uh, there are uh, overages that landlords are attempting to seek, and we have to try to negotiate settlements that are uh, good for all parties and can get the tenants back on their feet, at least in the housing. Stephanie, you'd mentioned the courts in Georgia doing different things. I, I know some are holding virtual hearings on evictions right now. Uh, how does that work? Yeah, it, it's been really interesting to watch happen in the Atlanta area. Fulton County, you know, which handles the, uh, the most cases in our area, they have made virtual hearings optional and they're not holding in-person hearings. And what that means is that tenants can decline to participate and basically allow their case to continue to be on hold until um, the courts reopen for general business. But there is a, there are virtual hearings in DeKalb County of just next door and they have mandatory virtual hearings. Tenants must participate and I have watched a few of those. Um, I think that you see that the judges and landlords, um, their attorneys navigating this process. And sometimes the tenants uh, get the notice about their hearing or have the technology to participate and you see them there. But I think it's, it's just really confusing for everyone as this drags on. We also have had um, a lot of, just since it's a county by county system, I think it's it's been really unclear, you know, to both landlords and tenants, what their responsibilities are as courts partially reopen. William, uh, how is that playing out here in Florida? Do are are there going to be virtual hearings? Is that something that counties are trying? What what are we seeing here? Yes, we are having virtual hearings. It, as Stephanie mentioned, uh, each of the counties has their own procedures, and even each of the individual judges has their own procedures. Hearings are taking place. They're taking place either by Zoom or they're taking place by uh, parties calling into the judges' chambers. The uh, Florida's most recent executive order by the governor means that cases can proceed, and they are, up until final judgment. So we've had quite a few hearings through the uh, beginning of the executive order that 
are taking everyone forward. So uh, the short answer is yes, we are having hearings in Florida. Uh, each of the judges is deciding how they're doing it and cases are moving forward. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. We're talking about evictions in the age of COVID with William Pena Wells of Gulf Coast Legal Services and Stephanie Stokes of WABE in Atlanta. We'll take a short break here and resume our conversation in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. We're talking about Florida's moratorium on evictions with attorney William Pena Wells of Gulf Coast Legal Services and Stephanie Stokes, a reporter at public radio station WABE in Atlanta. Stephanie, I want to go back to you. What about landlords who uh, have received some of this funding through the CARES Act versus others maybe who got loans through the, the Paycheck Protection Program? Uh, how is that affecting the eviction process? So landlords who did who were covered by the CARES Act, meaning they had government-backed loans, they were eligible for uh, mortgage relief, and I think that that did, I think that did ease some of the burden because I I think it's easy to forget that landlords have their own expenses, especially landlords who only have a few different properties. They have mortgages to pay, property taxes, which here in the Atlanta area are moving forward as usual. And they might, if they have several properties, they might have staff that they have to, whose jobs they have to fund. So I I think that as we see evictions pending for six, five, six months, you're talking about some landlords being put in a very difficult situation. The, the CARES Act funding we have here for rental payments, that is being negotiated directly with landlords. So the money doesn't go to the tenant. Um, it's, it goes to the tenant's landlord. I think that's just to make sure it is, uh, it is used for, for rental assistance only. So it, it, is, it does depend on the willingness of the landlord. And I think a lot of landlords do just want the, the rent that they're owed as far as the, the payment protection program, yes, we did see this in the Atlanta area that um, several apartment managers um, received million dollar loans through the payment protection program. And that was you know, set up to help businesses affected by the coronavirus. And what we saw here in the Atlanta area is that that didn't have any effect on eviction filings for them. They continued to file just as they had before. And these are, these are, landlords who filed a lot of evictions like you know they 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 are in the top um for the the atlanta area so it it didn't seem to help tenants out as you talk to uh people who are facing thousands of dollars in back rent and as you talk to landlords as well what what's the sense that you get that that these two sides are able to come to some kind of agreement or understanding on you know, you don't want to put somebody out on the street, but you have, as you said, a, a property owner who might have, you know, a mortgage or, or, or taxes or something, uh, you know, financial pressures of their own. How do, how do those, are, are those two sides trying to reconcile themselves? So, yeah, the Atlanta Apartment Association, which represents a lot of landlords, does say that the last thing they want to do is evict people. Um, now, there are a lot of evictions, eviction lawsuits that get filed in the Atlanta area. So, 
that statement can be at odds with the data, but, um, and a lot of landlords will file for evictions, uh, these are larger apartment complexes, will file for evictions just within like a week of tenants being behind on rent, but they would like to um, set up payment plans or, you know, just figure out a way to work with tenants as this continues. And I think there might be some incentive because um, it's happening to so many people that, you know, if you do lose your tenant, are you going to be able to fill that spot in your um, apartment community or house as so many other tenants are grappling with the same issue? And I, I'm talking to a lot of tenants who also don't want to take advantage of, uh, you know, the, the last five months with the break in eviction hearings at our courthouses that they have been wanting to pay um, whatever rent they can and set up arrangements with their landlords. I think one thing that makes it complicated here, and I would be interested to, to know if it, it's the same in Florida, is that Georgia does not allow landlords to file um, to con continue with the eviction process after tenants even pay any amount toward their, their past due rent. So that sets up a weird dynamic where landlords, um, they forego some of their, their rights almost by accepting partial payments. So I think that can actually discourage payment plans here in the Atlanta area. Yeah, William, if you want to pick that up, what, what, uh, what, what does the law in Florida say about, about partial payment of rent or, or payment plans? Well, basically, uh, most landlords won't accept partial payment because it does cause the uh, loss of rights. They uh, are refusing them. But in Florida, you're, uh, during the pendency of the action, you're supposed to put money into the registry of the court as it becomes rent becomes due. Now, the uh, uh, courts are interpreting that as making the uh, requirement that money go into the registry of the court be stayed and abated during the executive order. So uh, in uh, our area, the judges have been uh, letting the clients not put money into the registry of the court and not being uh, facing a, uh, a default. William, what are some of the misconceptions that you hear from tenants about the, the moratorium? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, uh, a lot of people think that they're covered simply because uh, the, uh, the governor or the president said so. And unfortunately, they don't read the fine print in the orders. And a lot of the time, uh, they uh, lose rights because they don't uh, uh, understand what's covered and what's not covered. As I said before, if you're a tenant who's a holdover tenant, you're not covered. If you're uh, a tenant that is under an unlawful detainer, you're not covered. But so many people believe that just because there's an order out there, uh, they can't get evicted. We've talked a little bit about the Paycheck Protection Program and the CARES Act and some of these federal assistance uh, uh, programs. I know there was a, a story a couple of weeks ago in the Tampa Bay Times about uh, a, a property owner who got a, a lot of money in PPP loans, and it's a property that's uh, kind of not in, not in the best shape. There are a lot of issues that the tenants are having. How, Stephanie, are we seeing you know, these landlords that get this federal assistance, um, are they actually using it in, in a way that, that, that's beneficial for their tenants? Yeah, I will say that the, the landlords who um, received the funding here, they are landlords, I found, who file a lot of eviction cases. And 
this is often true with landlords who file a lot of eviction cases. The properties are in very bad shape. The tenants are often dealing with rodent infestations. They're dealing with sewage backup. They're dealing with mold in their apartments. And these are issues that have gone on for years. They're, they're not new during the pandemic. So in my experience in the Atlanta area, visiting these apartments and talking to tenants, these are issues that, that weren't being addressed by management companies before the pandemic. And it doesn't appear that the funding has changed that at all. William, just, just kind of building on that, you know, we've all of us have rented apartments at some point. We've all had different experiences with, with landlords and property management companies. Some of them are great. Some of them are jerks. Some of them can be predatory. How does the fact that we're in this crisis right now and you have people who can't, that can't pay rent maybe exacerbate some of those problems with, uh, with landlords and property managers that, uh, that maybe not be working in their, in their tenants' best interests uh, to begin with? That's true. Bad landlords before the pandemic are still bad landlords. Unfortunately, uh, the crisis has made it uh, harder for uh, tenants to uh, pick up and leave because they have health issues or because they're uh, not able to find another place that's willing to take tenants. So they're pretty much stuck right now. So, William, if we've gone month to month with this executive order that, that Governor Ron DeSantis has issued, let's say we get to the end of September and the governor doesn't renew it. What does that mean for renters and tenants? Tenants who are not otherwise protected on any uh, of the uh, federal level will uh, face the threat of eviction. And more often, more importantly, uh, cases that have been uh, going forward to uh, the eve of final judgment, will be able to proceed right to final judgment and clients and tenants will uh, face the writ of possession and being removed by the sheriff. So uh, once that uh, gate is open, uh, not only new cases will be filed, but cases that uh, already have been in abeyance uh, will move very quickly. So you will see a very big wave immediately of people who are evicted because the uh, moratorium is not extended. And what does that mean for you and your work as, a, as an attorney who, who tries to help people in this situation? Well, we're going to be faced with a tsunami of, of cases uh, of people who are going to be facing immediate evictions. We're going to be facing an, uh, a, an onslaught of new cases, basically uh, uh, here at Gulf Coast and at other, every other uh, agency that tries to help distressed tenants uh, uh, we're going to be overwhelmed with requests. How does this crisis, William, kind of fit into the bigger picture of issues around uh, housing rights, housing affordability in, in the Tampa Bay region? Well, basically, uh, it goes into the uh, very uh, clear uh, picture that Florida is a pro-landlord state. The tenants have very few rights. The uh, Tenants are unfortunately uh, uh, at the mercy sometimes of very unscrupulous landlords who take advantage of the system to uh, exploit them and uh, evict them uh, when they would have uh, sometimes legitimate defenses uh, to uh, the claims. 
Stephanie is. I lived in Atlanta for many years, and I know how how expensive housing is in the city and in the surrounding region. Um, how does this crisis kind of exacerbate those issues around housing accessibility and, and affordability in Atlanta? Yeah, it's interesting. What I hear from landlords is that they feel like as tenants are behind on so much rent and potentially not going to repay it, that they might actually have to raise rents if and when the the current or previous tenant um, is evicted. Um, I would be interested to hear William's thoughts on that because I, I do find from uh, housing advocates here that they don't find that to be a very serious outcome just because we're looking at potentially a lot of people losing housing and so who's going to be able to you know afford that rent if it is raised but uh, yeah I think it's gonna it's raising a lot of questions about where people are going to live we already have we just learned here in the Atlanta area that before the pandemic in January the number of people sleeping outside of homeless shelters has been increasing because um, there is a, at least a perception that there are not beds available or there are not beds available for the type of people who need them. So we already don't really have a homeless uh, services system that can accommodate the need before the pandemic. So if we're talking about families and a lot of other people who were, you know, just making it paycheck to paycheck, losing their housing in the coming months, there's a, there's a real question about, you know, yeah, where, where, where are they going to go? Yeah, William, are we, can, can we draw a line here in this region from, from the housing crisis to, to increase in access to homeless services, more people in shelters, that sort of thing? Yes, quite a few uh, services are going to be stretched uh, to try to uh, accommodate the influx of people who, under normal circumstances, would never be uh, uh, worried about being homeless. But the pandemic reaches through all economic levels and uh, is going to make a... Uh, enormous uh, strain on the social service agencies. And yes, the housing is, uh, especially lower income housing, uh, is uh, stretched as it is. So uh, if uh, people are displaced from them, there's going to be a very uh, quick turnover for people to find uh, those, those houses filled. And uh, once uh, there is no more affordable housing, people are going to uh, having to uh, look at uh, other alternatives uh, in the uh, homeless shelters uh, and other uh, places that are going to have to absorb the, the overflow capacity of the, the results of the pandemic. So, William, a uh, final question here. Um, so, we've got tenants who are facing thousands of dollars in back rent, potential eviction. We've got land, landlords, property owners who are looking to be made whole. What do you think is 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 the best solution or best uh, outcome that 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 can be reached here for everyone? The best outcome is negotiation because if the landlords and the tenants can come to an agreement to stay in their homes, it benefits everyone. The landlords are able to get some portion of their uh, their rent uh, paid out. The tenants are able to stay and everyone can try to pick up the pieces and move forward. That was William Pena Wells, an attorney with Gulf Coast Legal Services. And you also heard from Stephanie Stokes, a reporter at WABE in Atlanta. My thanks to both of them for joining us today.
And today's show was produced by Denora Prebost. If you missed part of the conversation or want to listen again, you can find it at WUSFnews.org. On next week's show, WUSF reporter Steve Newborn will host and talk about our isolation and changing lifestyles since the start of the coronavirus pandemic and how that'll affect the way we work and the way we go to school and how we interact in the future. His guest will be David Hole, a futurist who founded the Sarasota Institute. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening to Florida Matters. Hope you'll join us again next week.